recent interview with Dr. Edwin Locke, the author of The Selfish Path to Romance, we discussed the key components to creating and nurturing a healthy romantic relationship. The ideas in the book are inspired by the viewpoint of an objectivist spanned by the teaching of Ayn Rand. I hope you will listen to the podcast, 584 with Dr. Edwin Locke, the author of The Selfish Path to Romance. Thank you. And now to our host, Greg Voison. And as I do every time I come on one of these podcasts, uh, I thank my listeners because without you, um, there would be no inside personal growth. And we're topping about 583 podcasts at this point. And your feedback and all of you who support inside personal growth, uh, both on SoundCloud and at the Inside Personal Growth website, we truly appreciate each and every one of you. And today, both of these ladies are joining me from San Diego, uh, one of them from Rancho Santa Fe and the other from San Diego, which it's all San Diego County. Jan Phillips, a longtime friend um, that I've known forever, and we've done an interview before in one of her books called The Art of Original Thinking. And her longtime friend, uh, Ruth Westrich, and Ruth uh, and both of them have foundations. Um, and we're going to be talking about their new book called Creativity Unzipped Why Your Thoughts Matter. Good day to you, ladies. How are you? Great. Thank you. Glad to be with you, Greg. Well, it's great to have both of you with me. And I'm going to let my listeners know a tad bit about both of you. For those of you who want to know more about Jan, Jan is quite a prolific writer, but it's www.janphillips.com. That's J-A-N-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S.com. Jan's a writer, photographer, and activist who connects the dots between evolutionary creativity, spiritual intelligence, and social action. In her keynotes and her workshops, uh, she uses music, poetry, images to keep the heart and brain connected. She's the author of 10 award-winning books, which include There Are Burning Bushes Everywhere, No Ordinary Time, Finding the On-Ramp, The Art of Original Thinking, and on and on and on. She's taught courses for over 25, in 25 countries and appeared in the New York Times, Miss uh, Newsday, People, Christian Science Monitor, New Age Journal, and so on. And Ruth, her co-author, is Ruth Westrich, and it's the westrichfoundation.org, and I'll spell that out, the Westrich, W-E-S-T-R-E-I-C-H, foundation.org. The Westrich Foundation generously supports integrative, functional, palliative, and natural medicine nationally and locally, as well as supporting creative and expressive arts as part of the whole person healing body, mind, and spirit. Her primary uh, capability is as a connector, bridge, and strategist within her focused areas of support. Um, she has just tons of accolades, and if you would like to learn more about Ruth, what I would recommend that you do is that you go to the westridgefoundation.org and we'll put links to that there as well. Well, thank you both for being on the podcast today and talking about this new book because creativity, innovation, and tapping our intuitions are big things today, not only in the business world, but I think for all of us personally, as the evolution of society moves forward, this becomes more and more of an important topic 
um, for people to do. It's really an evolution, both spiritually and as Ruth, you say, body, mind, and spirit. But Jan, you stated that creativity is the most abstract subjects humans ever tried to study. And how do we find that light switch to turn on the creativity? And where does it really emanate from as far as you guys are concerned? Oh, that's a funny, that's a great question because there's a British poet, Colin Wilson, who said, turning on the light is easy if you know where the switch is. And (laughs) in terms of creativity, where I think where the switch is, is in one's ability and commitment to be silent in a little part of each day so that you can kind of have your receptive antenna out and be in relationship with, you know, creation itself as it unfolds. And that sounds a little metaphysical, but when you talk to people who are doing creative work, many of them, Ruth and I, in fact, several times in the book make reference to our different ways of being silent. She often is in nature and finds her um, kind of inspiration spikes in that in those early morning hours in nature and for me I'm inside I have a candle burning you know it's basically a kind of mindfulness practice and so to go along with becoming a more creative person in your life and tuning into the ways that you in fact are creating your life we're suggesting in the book that mindfulness is a practice that you initiate if you're not already doing it and stay committed to because that will inform and infuse your own creativity. That's where the well, I think that the light is. I think that for everybody, we find our creativity in unique ways. But you guys have actually uncovered, um, not only through your research in this book, but opportunities for people to explore new ways to tap into that creativity. And that's really what Creativity Unzipped is all about, um, why your thoughts matter. Now, Ruth, you're known as quite the philanthropist and that much of your creativity is used in that arena. I know that you've done work overseas, at schools, Can you tell us about some of the creative contributions you're making to our world to make this place a better place to live in? Well, yes, I can. Um, You know, I, when I first was able to put together my foundation, which is something that happens to almost no one. So, I mean, I feel honored and privileged every single day. And in that, I, would, I really tried to figure out what can be my highest and best contribution and what can have the most impact, because that's really what I wanted to do, is I wanted to be able to affect um, large systems and do sea changes. And the best way to do that, I have found, is to be able to bring like groups together, to have them work through the things that they have in common, where those synchronicity things happen and form collaborations and form consortiums and then go out as a larger power block. So that's basically, I think, um, where my greatest strength has been and why I've been able to accomplish so much. 
Well, you do tell your, you do tell the listeners in the book that you are the connector, and that's right in your bio, and I can see that about you. Um, uh, for all those I listeners, I have something to I've, add, uh, Matt Ruth. Yeah, go I ahead. I have something to add, Greg, about Ruth's foundation work that I I don't think she really mentioned it so specifically, but what she does so frequently is to create salons in her home where she will invite key players in certain fields in, you know, in integrative medicine or GMOs or other tricky social topics that are up for us now as a nation to form our opinion out. And she brings people in. The last one I was at, she had brought, there were people in from England. She just figures out who are leading experts in the matter of this subject. She brings them in. They talk for a while. There may be 30 or 40 people sitting around eating the healthiest of gluten-free foods. You know, the whole context is set very carefully and mindfully. And so these people who are each creative you might call them cultural creatives. We're all creating our cultures in our own different milieu are informed by these people that Ruth brings in as experts and then we all have ample time to share and discuss with each other. So, and then we go back to our own circles. And so I think myself, that's one of her major ways of personally bringing about connections that foster change and healing and growth in our communities. Well, one of the things that I love about both of you, since I've known both of you so long, is that, you know, you guys aren't working on beliefs, you're working on knowings. And those knowings are so deeply ingrained in both of you that um, you can really stand in conviction for the charitable work that you're doing, the things you're attempting to change to make the world a better place. And I just want to acknowledge both of you for that. Um, Jan, you know, you mentioned in your chapter, we were talking about mindfulness and, and it's called mindfulness and magic that comes from the practice. Uh, you did, oh, there was a study set in there by Dr. Andrew Newberg and his work on neuroscience and studying our brains. He states that we're hardwired for enlightenment. Um, now, enlightenment is a big word for a lot of people. What advice do you have for our listeners about tapping our creative genius? Well, you know, it's interesting times that science and metaphysics and, and mysticism is kind of becoming a new holy trinity in a way. Back in the many centuries ago, there's a German mystic who I think describes it most clearly when he says the process of enlightenment is a process of subtraction, not addition, meaning that one doesn't necessarily have to learn anything more, but one needs to get rid of bad ideas about our human limitations. You know, when Ruth and I started this book, its original title was Stop learning, start knowing. And it shape shifted along the way and we, you know, changed titles a couple times. But that's the basic foundational underpinnings of what we're up to that no, we're encouraging people to, you know, give up the notion that they're not smart enough or lucky enough or pretty enough or rich enough 
to do the thing they want to do, that right now, from this day, they contain all the resources for doing their masterpiece that they're here to do. And why our thoughts matter, you know, what Andrew Newberg discovered in his findings of the brain is that when you're in a state of mindfulness in that part of the cerebral cortex, what happens is the boundaries begin to disappear between a sense of self and a sense of other. There's interesting neural synapses that occur that cause you to be in a place where you don't feel so isolated and you do feel more connected to the whole. That's the magic of mindfulness. And the science has found ways to prove that. So regarding enlightenment, we're just saying that we have trappings, we have religious trappings, we have cultural trappings and conditioning that has caused us to feel not creative, to say silly lines like, I'm not creative, I can't draw a straight line, instead of to wake up in the morning and say, how am I going to create my day? That's an enlightened question. So we're just underlining for people that, no, none of us sit around calling ourselves enlightened because that's not a state a human being can achieve. But the first step to the process of, of, of living and creating an enlightened life is the process of being mindful that your thoughts and your words that you think and speak on Tuesday become the life that you live on Thursday. There's a direct relationship there. Yeah, it's actually um, saying what you're going to say, doing what you said you're going to do, and living to your word. And I think that's as important in society today as we look at just the issues of the political environment that we face here in the United States right now. It's really quite an interesting time. Now, Ruth, in the chapter on creating time, both of you quoted Sogel Rinpoche as saying, in the West, we fill our lives with compulsive activities. Um, and in the East, he said, they spend a lot of time being lazy, if I remember correct. What advice do you have about finding and enjoying creative projects? And what are some of the things that you do personally to inspire your own creativity and would inspire our listeners? Great question. Um, well, let's see. I think first. First of all, one of, one of the main things that we're talking about in the book that we have now come to see, the reason that people are so taken with this book, it's we are like giving them a permission slip to be creative. Um, when we started, we didn't really know that people out there, because everybody's creative, we create our own lives every day, but for some reason or other, to really think about that consciously, many people need to have permission to do that. So that's what we have given them in this book. We have given them permission to think about creativity in a very conscious um, way to really make their lives much more meaningful. And for me, you know, I have I've always known that my art, my ability in art, um, 
has been something that has been a constant with me almost my entire life. And it's something that I do almost on a daily basis. Um, I find, and I think people who really feel that there are some lack in their life or they really have, they have trouble um, on a daily basis sort of being, being free to, to be who they are and to express who they are. Creativity, you can, whether it is the written word, whether, whether it is, um, you know, uh, artistic media of any kind, those are the kinds of things that you give yourself permission to do, which makes you feel much more whole and complete. Because when I don't do that, I really feel that there is a lack or a hole, and my life doesn't have nearly the meaning that it does when I pay real attention to this. So I think in the book, we're giving people permission to look at that part of themselves and say, if you feel this, this is an intricate part of who you are, and it's your responsibility to stand up and claim that. Well, I think it's so important, the whole brain thinking. You know, we say, well, are you right-brained? Are you left-brained? The reality is we have both sides of the hemispheres of our brains that we need to use. And Jan, you know, you cite David Kelly and his company, IDEO, IDEO, uh, up in the Bay Area, which most of my listeners are very familiar with, as an example of a very creative organization. As a matter of fact, they're designers. They design some of the most unique things that you've seen, both in technology and in other areas. And he says, together, we navigate each day with curiosity, optimism, and a sense of humor. We are makers, designers, hackers, builders, thinkers, explorers, writers, listeners, risk takers, and doers. And we love what we do. Jan, what advice do you have for our business listeners about making their organizations a creative community? Two things come to mind initially. Both of these were the genesis of each of these thoughts is in the the Art of Original Thinking, which is a business book on uh, visionary leadership that Ruth underwrote and I wrote in 2006. But the answer started there. And the answer is one, diversity, and two, triple bottom line thinking and even accounting. And that means then, and that's what they're doing at IDEO or IDEO, however they just name that, is that the main focus is not simply on profits. There is a trinity focus, which means we care as much about people and the planet as we do about profits. So that level, it's a whole different level of integrity and excitement. You know, it's like when the company leaders ask not how can we be the best in the world, but how can we be the best for the world? that causes a certain kind of soulful excitement in the people that work for the company because there's a purpose and a value there that's that's connected to who we are and what we're hoping for in our lives. The second is to be aware of the diversity in your ranks. And I'm not just, I'm t- yes, I'm talking about diversity in terms of other cultures, other colors, 
other, you know, religions, but also diversity in, in ages, um, the having a, a, a real commitment to having as many women as men on the board. You know, there's investment advice coming out of um, uh, financial individuals who are famous for calling it good investment-wise, and they're saying we only invest in companies that has more women, that has women CEOs or or more women on the board because they're aware that diversity, the more the diversity, the more the higher levels of creativity. And that, and that has been proven in social science experiments for the last 10 years, that diversity equals more creativity and more success in the workplace. So those are the two things right off the top that, that occur to me. Triple bottom I, line, thinking and diversity. Yeah, Ruth. Can I just add something to that? Um, a company sure. like IDEO has been so successful because they, they, really under, they really understood that if you, if you have an engineering project and you only bring engineers to the table, the project is going to look a certain way because engineers have been geared to think a certain way. But if you start bringing in lots of other types of thinking, lots of other types of creatives, maybe a behavioral scientist, maybe an artist, maybe um, a janitor, yes, a janitor, maybe someone who's going to use the product, then you're going to get the very best kind of collective thinking. And I think that's why they have been so successful and other companies are emulating them. And it's, mm-hmm. counter, it's counterintuitive, but it's scientifically factual. And it's well, based I on think the it's, studies. It's, oh, go ahead. I, I think what happens, uh, ladies, is, you know, when you're inclusionary in your process of the design and innovation, inclusionary, whatever multiple levels of testing you go through or prototyping, um, you begin to see alterations to what it is that you might make or what product or service you bring to the world um, that actually has greater levels of functionality. And one thing that IDEO, IDEO is known for is what Jan, you said, simplicity. Um, you know, user interface design of software is all about the simplicity of finding it the quickest as you can because we're just inundated with this stuff. It doesn't matter if it's on your cell phone or it's a device. So IDEO is a, an amazing place. Now, Ruth, you speak about a movie you hosted called Escape Fire, The Fight to Rescue American Healthcare. Uh, it's a movie that I need to see. I happen haven't, that's one of them that I haven't seen. If you could speak to our listeners about the usefulness of creativity in the healing process, because I know integrative medicine is a big thing to you. I also know that um, you definitely, as Jan said earlier, connect through nature, uh, through your walks in the morning to get in touch with your intuition and creativity. So speak with us, if you would, about um, creativity in this healing process. Well, number one, Escape Fire um, was just an amazing documentary showing um, our healthcare system but today I don't call it a healthcare. I call it a medical industry because that's basically what it is. And the reason that I have spent so much time in the areas of 
and I don't want to say non-conventional, but dealing with the body, the mind, and the spirit is because conventional medicine basically has dealt with a body. Not only that, they have dealt with a particular part of the body that has been broken down. I think what we say, in other words, if you, um, if you are a cardiologist, you are looking at every patient as a heart, right? But we all know that we're much more than that. We have a whole body that is connected because we're a system. We're the most um, complex system that there is, way over and above uh, any kind of technology that we have. But we are left, people, we are left to pick up the pieces after conventional medicine is finished with us. So if you put a stint in, the cardiologist goes, yay, we're, we have fixed this person. But if you don't take a look at what was the underlying cause of that, then you're, you haven't really fixed that. Then it becomes a revolving door. And so what we have also, what I've also found is don't go to the most invasive place first because that's not always necessary. And we're one of the only countries that kind of goes to that place first. We either, you know, do an operation for it or we give you a magic bullet from a pharmaceutical company. And yet, if you are, especially in the cases of, excuse me, like PTSD, PTSD doesn't get better by throwing a lot of pharmaceuticals at it. Antidepressants, anti-anxieties, all of those things. We tend to zombie those people out. And that's not really, they may be quieter, and we may look at them and say, oh, you know, we have fixed this problem. But the person inside there is not whole and complete. And what we need to do is we need to then go to it, go into it, into a different area. And we need to be able to have a dialogue with that person so that they can then communicate with us in a way that is comfortable with them, that can actually be cathartic for them. And we have found that whether it is, um, say, a returning soldier who is uh, cathartically telling his story to someone who then with him writes a song about that, that's extremely cathartic. You can actually see transformation. The same thing happens when a soldier, a returning soldier with PTSD, is given the opportunity to make art, to make art with the specific purpose of going through the process of making art. There's healing in that process. So those are the reasons that I do those things because this is something that conventional medicine never even goes there. And this is what, make, this is what brings people back to the places the, to the places of wholeness and completeness. And well, you as, give- you, as you state in the book, it is a body-mind-spirit connection. And I think one of the things that conventional medicine has done in the Western world uh, gravitates toward that is because they've, they've pushed that. We are seeing, leaning, seeing more leaning toward integrative medicine and uh, functional medicine and uh, functional medicine doctors who are looking at ways without invasiveness to heal people. And I love that happening. I love that you're involved with that, Ruth, because it is such a big area for people um, to heal 
both emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. So thank you for the work that you're doing there. And Jan, you were going to say something. Let me butt in here. I want to say one thing here. I want to give a picture to the listener about what does it look like that Ruth cares about this, is that she rented out an entire movie theater for two showings of the movie mm-hmm. that is follows the life and follows the PTSD soldier who survived and first gets like 26 prescriptions for opioids and psychotropics and every other kind of drug and what happens and how that just follows that journey. So the movie itself, you know, she completely filled the, you know, Claremont Town Square Theater with 300 people who were there to watch the movie. And then she put together a panel of experts who were there to talk and share after the movie was over. So the audience got a chance to interact with, you know, medical professionals, art therapists, military personnel. And so what what Ruth created out of her own brilliance was an occasion for people to come together to be moved by the film and then to talk about it and it, and you know further our own thinking to evolve our own thinking in the matter of that. So that's what it looks like activism these days and we do it from our different platforms and places where we're at, but that's what it looks like when Ruth gets involved with an issue. Well, she's a creative connector. Look at when you bring yep. 300 people. I've done it myself. Uh, I did a movie premiere at a theater up in San Marcos and brought in 300 people and then had speakers and so on. And it's awesome because it sparks in that, which leads me to my next and last question, community. And that's where a lot of healing can occur. And Jan, you state that creativity gets sparked in communion with others, not in isolation. And I know you spend lots of your time going around doing workshops for people. You've been doing that for years. Speak with our listeners about sparking our creativity in community and why is community so important a factor in sparking creativity? I think witness is a big part of it. I just came back last night from a week-long retreat in Dubuque, Iowa, in the middle of the heartland. And they they were all sisters in a religious order, but that's kind of a moot point because all the creative exercises are the same. So I'll tell you a little story about something that happened. Is I led them into a, an exercise where they, they, I read a poem to them. I said, okay, you're going to follow the architecture of this. You write your own. Don't You don't have to consider it a poem. You can consider it a prayer or whatever, but just... Follow these lines, you know, praise this, praise that, praise this, praise that. And it ends with, though darkness gathers, and then you make a line of your own. So it had a dual purpose. They're all familiar with with litanies, which are just long lists of things that you're grateful for. But in the course of doing the poem, um, they all have only seven minutes to do it. And then at the end, I ask, would anyone like to share? So it was an 85-year-old sister who read her poem to me. I was her listener, and I asked her, would she mind if I read it to the group? So she tells me the story of 
when she was in elementary school, she was shy and hesitant, and they had an assignment to write a poem, and she refused to do it, so she had to stay after school and write poems. And she refused to do that, and she just wrote a bunch of her thoughts in a long line and said, here, there's a poem, because it took the shape of a poem, but she was still resistant and reactionary. So the teacher took that, that young girl's long line of thoughts and submitted it to a poetry contest, and it, and it won the, the first prize in the poetry contest. But the nun said, I've never written a poem since until that day last week when she wrote a poem that the whole community heard and gave her a standing ovation for. That caused her to shine for that whole rest of the week, to come out from behind whatever pillars she had been hiding behind and to take her role as a fellow creative in the ranks. And I think that's the power of being witnessed and being seen, that when you have a community of people around you who listen deeply to what you're saying, they kind of listen you into being in some cases. So that's part of the equation of success and of of feeling ourselves confident enough to even think of ourselves as creative, especially, you know, young girls. You know, I don't know if it was like this for you, but I can... I can recall many moments when people said to me, who do you think you are? You know, you're not creative. There's just a lot of bruising that occurs with many of us on our path of growing up, being discouraged from our own originality. So that as adults, when we're in circles where we're there to listen to each other and to respond to each other's creative works, that's what causes both a healing and a, an encouragement to create even more because it seems to matter to people. Yeah, and there's such an in- energy that comes out of community and communion with others, and it does always spark something from a source that we don't always have the opportunity to tap unless we are in community. Um, there's an energy, there's a vibratory field that actually converges and coalesces to bring in um, just some beautiful uh, relationships that happen and obviously some rumination and deep thinking. I want to thank both of you ladies for being on with us today and speaking about your new book called Creativity Unzipped, Why Your Thoughts Matter. Um, This book is at Amazon. You guys can go up there and get it. We'll put a link to it. We will put a link to Ruth Westrich's uh, uh, foundational website along with uh, Jan Phillips. It's www.janphillips.com. And I have a quote here from the back of the book, ladies, that I think is really, really good. This is an inspiring book that blends the power of creativity with the science of consciousness. When you get stuck, open this book to any page to find your creative WD-40 and enjoy. Um, great quote, uh, great book. Uh, thank you for sharing this with the world, spending the time to writing it and come together as a, a collaborative team to put this together. Thanks so much for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thanks, Greg. Thank you so much, Greg. Mm-hmm. 